0: Good morning, welcome to the house of the Lord, and those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, please open to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 14. We will in one moment stand and read verses 53 to 65. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Please stand for our reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and the coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Please be seated. The kangaroo court That's this morning's title for this consideration, and we'll go right to it. It doesn't need much of an introduction. Verse 53, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Now, he was arrested without charge. I mean, there was no charge against him. They came to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they handcuffed him and took him away. Uh, where he first was taken to Annas, who was the high priest, uh, according to the people. I'll comment on that in a moment. But John gives us a little bit more information in his gospel, chapter 18. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Well, Caiaphas was actually the son-in-law of Annas, He was Rome's appointment to be the high priest in Israel. It was political. Um, Annas was considered the high priest by the people, and the two got along very well. They were, what we would say, in cahoots with each other. Uh, So all of this was corrupt. They were corrupt men. They were greedy men, uh, very political, very powerful, and very wealthy. Uh, They were united in their persecution of the Christ, Uh, Mark, like the other gospel writers, does not give us a comprehensive account of the arrest and the trial. For that, we have to take the four gospels together and, and, and put them together, and we get so much more information that way. God has designed it that way for good reason. Our Lord, on this night, suffered three trials from the Jews and three from the Gentiles, they were just shuffling him from trial to trial, while, while inflicting physical harm on him at the same time. Uh, this will account for, uh, physically speaking, why he was just, uh, you know, dehydrated by the time he had to, to, to take the, the cross, take up the cross to Calvary. Well, first, as I mentioned, was his hearing with Annas, who then sent him to Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin, that was the first hearing, and by morning time, they will meet again, the Sanhedrin, with Caiaphas overseeing it. And then they will deliver their final verdict. Uh, in, in between all this, uh, the, the, there was the meeting with Pilate. And then, well, after, actually, not in between. And then came the meeting with Herod, which was the most profound meeting, meeting of them all, at least in my opinion, because... Of all those who asked him questions, Herod was the only one that Jesus did not respond to. He did not answer his questions. He is the only man in the Bible that Jesus Christ totally ignored. And uh, I think that's quite profound. And then finally, from Herod, he would go back to Pilate uh, for the final sentencing, and then they would carry out the crucifixion. In verse 54, But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now, my view of Peter and his reaction to the arrest and the trials of Christ differ with most, if not all, uh, commentators on this. I do not see Peter as a coward at all. I see him as frightened from time to time, but more confused, didn't know what to do. This was a man that was ready to pounce on the enemies of Christ, and Christ called him down. And after that, you know, what do you do? You want to obey the Lord, but you also want to defend him. You've already made this boast that you would never leave him. You would be loyal to the end. And then you, you as the prophet Zechariah said, they were all scattered. It became an every man for themselves kind of a, a deal. And yet, uh, John and Peter connect again shortly after. And John gets Peter into the courtyard because it is very likely that these two men who were fishermen in business together... Uh, had the high priest or someone there at the, at the, in the courtyard as their customers to sell them fish. And that would explain why John has this access. Well, uh, here is Peter at the private residence in the courtyard of the high priest, and this is around the temple. It's a cold night, and he's putting himself in harm's way still. Um, he's taking a risk by being there. We don't read of the other apostles. They're, they're in a hideout, hideout mode at this time. But Peter just couldn't help being as near to his Lord as he could get. He's trying to work through this. And for those of you who have not been following us through this, um, and those who have, permit me to be uh, redundant in saying this, that but these men never saw Jesus fail. They never saw him Back down. They just saw him do miracles, always in control. Now all of a sudden, he's he's cuffed, he's he's un, in custody, and they're bewildered. They're, this is uh, uh, you know we can understand it mentally, but to be there, uh, how intense it was, uh, because they weren't connecting the prophecies of the ancient prophets with what was going on. At least not yet. And so here he is. He's hanging around the servants. Of the Lord's enemies. Um, because he, again, he can't help himself. So John, he, he gives us a little bit more information. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciples, who was known to the high priest. I pause there, you see that he's ta- John's talking about himself. He was known to the high priest. He's likely, uh, uh, the, the high priest is likely a customer of John and selling fish. Continuing on uh, he was known to the high priest, he went out and spoke to her to, who kept the door and brought Peter in. Now the servants, I'm in John's Gospel, chapter 18. Now I'm in verse 18 of John 18. Now the servants and officers had made a fire of coals, stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now Simon stood and warmed himself. Verse 25. So there's Peter in the courtyard. But out of John's account, there's this repeated phrase. Three times we get it, and I, I think it's, it's it's intentional, of course, by the Holy Spirit to preserve this for us and to see it in the text. And if you don't see it and it's pointed out, maybe you appreciate it. I hope verse 18 of John, uh, verse 16 of John 18, Peter stood. And then verse 18, Peter stood. In verse 25, Peter stood. It's not by a mistake. It's uh, here's the man, he still stands with Christ and he can do nothing at this point. He doesn't know what to do. He's hoping something will d- d- develop. But he has to be close to Jesus. I think every believer can understand that. Not knowing what to do, incapable of rescuing his Lord, yet ready to act. If the Lord said, Peter, get them, it would have been instant, without hesitation. No, he's no no coward. He's confused in a very serious way. And this sort of confusion, all confusion, weakens us to some degree. Uh, This really, uh, Peter didn't know, he was out of his element. He wasn't ready for anything like this. We come to these situations from time to time in life, especially when we think we're going to be strong. And we find out we're far weaker than what we thought and had hoped to be. And that is part of where he is. In verse 55, now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Surprise, they couldn't find a reason to kill him. And we know who these boys are. This is a Abysmal wickedness. These men were supposed to be those who upheld righteousness and the law and truth. They have zero interest in any of that. They hate him so much. Isaiah said he is despised. Despised and rejected. They'll find something to charge him with. You know... Uh, you know, that's what makes us nervous sometimes about if a policeman's following you on the road. I'm like, get away from me. <laughs> uh, true story. One night I'm going home from church, and my gas pedal gets a little stuck. So it uh, it's it's cruising about, okay, nine ten miles over the speed, maybe a little more. Um, I don't know. I don't bother looking. I trust my truck. Anyway... <laughs> There's this car following me. And I change lanes, they change lanes. I speed up, they speed up. I slow down, they slow down. Finally, after about 10 minutes of this almost, the blue lights come on. It's like, man, this guy's giving me the blues. I can't believe it. So I pull over and it's, it's, you know, a a state trooper. And they, you know, you know you you were speeding, you were doing this, and I'm not admitting to anything. Not that I'm I mean I'm cooperating. I said, Well, I I didn't know who you were. I changed lanes, you changed lanes. I'm saying why are you following me? Now I guess the trooper was saying, Well, in court that's gonna look bad for me. I'm not sure. But they let me just gave me a warning. Okay, don't do it again. And I said, Okay. (laughs) The rule is you wait for them to leave first because then once they're in front of you, they can't clock you. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know why I'm telling this story. It has something to do with, oh, some, you know, they wanted to find a charge on him. And, and in time, one would surface. They were sure of this. And of course, uh, you know, being followed by law enforcement, you get a little nervous because they might find a charge on you. Not that they're up to anything. You know, they just you know, That's how it is. Anyway, the Old Testament law, which these men were supposed to be dedicated to uphold, required at least two witnesses against the accused before they could condemn them to death. Well, they don't have the two witnesses. They don't have one witness. But they're going to keep at it, aren't they? Are they not? In verse 56, it continues, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Why? Why did they bear false witness against him? What did he do to any of these people? Human beings. Human beings so messed up by sin. It's, again, intentional. For many bore witness. Not just a couple. Not a few. Many. Many liars eager to tell their lies at his expense. They had everything to gain. Favor with the court? Who wouldn't want that? There are still many bearing false witness against Christ. You ever be around someone that thinks they know who Christ is and what he is about and they think they know the Bible's filled with contradictions and they're just ready to do, you know, bear false witness against the truth. It is, I have to admit, it is a great pleasure with satisfaction to shoot them down, but they often don't give you the chance. Well, Uh, Not knowing what they were talking about did not stop them from talking about it. Not caring what harm it would cause someone else. They didn't consider, hey, maybe this man has a mother that loves him. Or, you know, uh, friends. And here we are prosecuting him with lies. Proverbs. Paul, before I read Proverbs, isn't it a little creepy that these righteous men knew where to find these guys? Uh, we'll read in the book of Acts that they did a similar thing against Paul, lewd men of the baser sort, <laughs> says the King James. They <clears throat> not these same men, but others, wanting to stop the gospel, found some thugs to come against Paul. Proverbs 14, verse 7, Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Don't hang around these guys. They'll bring you down. I think it's a good question for every Christian. Every Christian to ask themselves, do I drain the environment of joy and Christ and truth? When I when I when I show up, is it incoming, you know, incoming uh, or am I a blessing? Uh, you know, some Christians just, they, I don't know what they think, but they just are always dragging their knuckles, always sad and making no effort to fight these things. We all have a reason to be sad. We all have reasons to, be, to drag our knuckles from time to time, but not drag others down with us. And, <clears throat> you know, just a, a reminder, because everything we're reading in Scripture is supposed to contribute to making us stronger servants of Jesus Christ. We're not reading about these guys simply because we don't like them, and making these comments. Well, I'm making the comments, right? I'm innocent. Uh, Because for the edification, that's what it's for, to build up the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. And so as we consider these characters, we have to say, Lord, may this contribute to me contributing to your glory. These men were lying witnesses. We are supposed to be honorable and truthful witnesses. So they lined up. They took their oaths before God and then they took their shots with their fabricated testimonies against the one who healed their sick. Against the one who gave sight to their blind, who cleansed their lepers, who fed the hungry multitudes, who preached the truth to them. That was life-changing. And yet, this is what they do. They come and they turn against him. Evil is energetic. It has a lot of energy. And it likes to spend that energy. Where does it come from? Well, you know, a lot of people don't believe there's a very real Satan that has the power to sway people. John tells us that. In his, uh, the whole, John says in his first letter at the end, in chapter 5, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And they don't even believe it, which he loves, incidentally. But their testimonies did not agree, it says in verse 56. And Christ's rejecters still can't agree. And why they reject him, though they are in agreement in their rejection. They felt that in the midst of corruption, these priests and these elders and these scribes and Pharisees, these, these religious officials, they felt that they should at least have an appearance of justice. Which just makes the crime worse. Why not just hire assassins? Why go through this kangaroo court? Because, again, they wanted that appearance. It meant so much to them. They felt that the witnesses should at least agree on something, but they could not. They wanted someone to help them lie, even if it were with a diseased dignity. Again, the work of Satan is some serious stuff. And we who believe know it full well. And so we pray, we persevere, We look to be edified. We study to show ourselves approved workers who do not need to be ashamed. What is that? You know, it's like, well, I I didn't know what to say to the person. Well, because you weren't studying, was that the reason? Or was it just, you know, a moment that, you know, you just couldn't get it? The the spirit wasn't blessing you. And if it's, well, because I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then we have a sense of shame. Not not that's a condemning shame, but because when the Lord points these things out, you know what, you should have had that one. He's not doing it to destroy us. He's doing it to build us up, to make us say, yes, Lord, that's not going to happen again, at least not easily. And that—that that is what it takes to go against the gates of hell. We've got our gates, too, and we are supposed to prevail. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that, but uh, it, it is that way. Anyway, there's no honor amongst thieves, incidentally. I don't know who came up with that, you know, honor among... There's no honor. I mean, give me a break. They're up to no good all the time. And there's no honor amongst these men, because they are thieves. Jesus said, my house shall be a a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What is a den of thieves? It's where the thieves go to count their loot. That's what a den of thieves is. After they've ripped you off, and they, they scurry to their hideout to divvy up their loot. Well, dirty reasons to have a clear conscience. That's what's going on with these guys. That's good enough for them, and that's why it is a kangaroo court. It is not just, and they're just hopping along, doing damage to God the Son, verse 57. <clears throat> Though we don't lose sight, before I read verse 57, we don't lose sight that, you know, Well, who, who was the one that crucified Jesus? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Was it me? Really, it was him in this sense. No one could crucify him without his permission. And then you begin to peel the layers back to that. And that's why we love him so much. Anyway, verse 57. uh, That's not the only reason why, but that is without that reason. Verse 57. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying... A false witness is a polite way of saying, then some liars stood up. Verse 58, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will will build another made without hands. They heard no such thing. They're lying. That's why Mark is telling us. John's Gospel, chapter 2, is where Uh, what they're referencing. Jesus answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to him, pardon me, the Jews first answered, now Jesus is answering, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Out of that, out of Jesus' comment, destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. They get that he's going to destroy this temple, which is, of course, Not what happened. And uh, so we understand that. Verse 59. But not even then did their testimony agree. Well, once more, there's never been a shortage of people who have had their facts jumbled up concerning the Christ. They're conflicted in their words, but unanimous in their hostility. They have the same disdain, disrespect for Christ. Uh, There, the Lord stood, listening to this gibberish. How difficult it is to listen to somebody, you know, mouth off lies and, and, and just gibberish. It's really difficult, is it not? Even unbelievers understand that. They go to a church and they hear a pastor preaching things from the Scripture that they don't care for. They get up and leave. They're not going to listen to it sometimes. Other, otherwise, they're on pins and needles the whole time waiting for an earthquake or somebody to pull a fire alarm to get them out of there. <clears throat> the Lord knew that they wanted to kill him and that they would kill him. He wasn't uncertain. You know, any human being in any court, you know, take a historical figure such as Martin Luther the diet of worms he knew they wanted to kill him but he didn't know if they would succeed or not well they did not succeed in his case sindel a different story christ knew what he was facing he knew that they were going to do this to him but again not without his permission john's gospel chapter 10 jesus said no one takes it from me that is his life i lay it down of myself i have power to lay it down And I have power to take it up again. And that is just what he did. And you either believe it or you do not. If you do not, you must ask yourself, have you investigated it? Many people continue to reject Christ because they refuse to look into the evidence because maybe it might be true. a lot of people want the Bible to be a lie. They can't prove it's a lie, but they want it to be. And uh, this is where we come in to start uh, being used by the Spirit to say, "Why? Why do you think that way? What is wrong with you? Why do you? What is in the Bible that you want to be not true?" And well, they may have an answer for you. And no, we are supposed to study to show ourselves approved, to have an answer, for, to, a counter answer. Ultimately, it's going to be their choice. Verse sixty now of Mark's Gospel, chapter fourteen. And the high priest stood up in the midst. And asked Jesus, saying, do you answer nothing what these men testify against you? <laughs> the high priest, really? Of what religion? Of what book of scripture are you the high priest of? Well, he's <laughs> their devotion to their religion meant nothing good. What he is saying here is, Jesus, will you please help us find a legal reason to kill you? That's really what is happening here. A.W. Tozer says, they gave reign to blind hate in the name of the religion of love. Even the Jewish religion was a religion of love. You You may say, well, where? Because it doesn't, you know, say it on every page. Whenever it talks about the sacrifices, it's talking about God's love. Because it's saying to the Jewish people, there's a way for your sins to be dealt with and God doesn't have to deal with them. But he's made a way to do this. And so when the high priest would put on his hat, it said, holiness to the Lord. The fact that he could still stand as a sinner and speak of the holiness of God speaks of God's love. But God did not just wipe men out. But he appointed them to positions that would speak about how we should approach him. And so, as Toji was saying, you know, this... Uh, and uh, this blind hate and the religion of love it is very accurate they were the very essence of ungodliness these men in their robes with their hats and their beards and their power and they trampled righteousness to save their religious and political positions because it offered them wealth and power and prestige prestige some, some humans can't live without it. Verse 61, but he kept silent and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now remember, he's standing up because the silence is killing him. He wants Jesus to say something. Don't just stand there and ignore us. Even though we're lying to you and trapping you and already made up my mind, you're not getting out of this alive, which makes it a kangaroo court. And where's the shame? With the wicked there is no shame, says Zephaniah the prophet. He kept silent. It's so easy to like persistent no good, no gooders. (laughs) I need that word. It's not a word, but it needs to be a word. These were... Up to no good. And uh, persistent in doing it. And the Lord is just standing there. And it is irritating them. Uh, they want help to send him to the cross. Uh, this man, Caiaphas, who speaks on behalf of the most of the Sanhedrin. The government. The 70 elders of Israel that ran the nation. Uh, their Supreme Court. And... Uh, their Congress all rolled into one, you could even say, to some degree. They, uh, <clears throat> their minds were fixed. Uh, and so was their fate, because of their choices. Their minds were fixed against Christ, without a reason. And this Caiaphas, the leader, the ringleader, he is dragging a boatload of dupes down with him, because they enjoy being dupes. That way, they wouldn't call themselves that. They would resent being called that. We'll cover that at the end, hopefully, this morning, this this study. And he says, are you the Christ? He's using truth to murder the unwanted Messiah. Are you the Christ? He asked him right on. A Christ is the Greek for the, the Hebrew word Messiah, the anointed one. The definite article there. The anointed one. There are others who are anointed. There was the anointed high priest. There were anointed kings. Anointed prophets. This one is the anointed son of God. They understood that. Because that's in his question. He's the one that phrases the question. And so here is Christ infuriating them with his silence. He ignored their courtroom Because it was not just. He he ignored their lies and their distortions. But this man, Pilate, uh, pardon me, Caiaphas, we'll get the pilot later, not this morning, unless you want to stay. Uh, But anyway, uh, this Caiaphas and his group, they're up to their neck in darkness. Have you ever met anyone like that? I'm sure you have. You've met people that are just up to their neck in darkness. And so he puts Jesus under oath to incriminate himself so that Christ could incriminate himself in their court. And he asked this question. Are you the Son of the Blessed? See, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? This tells us that they believed the Messiah would be the Son of God, equal with God, divine, we would say. They didn't have all of it worked out, but they had that much worked out. And that's why the question is phrased this way. And it's, it's, instead of saying, are you the Christ, the son of Yahweh? Why does he not use the covenant name of Yahweh in pronouncing divine, the divine name? Well, he's following yet another superstition that these religious people had created and worked into their religion as a custom, as a tradition of not pronouncing the name of Yahweh. But why did Yahweh give you the name? He didn't say, hey, here's my name. Don't ever say it. He gave them the name so they could be reminded and instructed on his, na- on his nature. Name is nature in the Bible. When you, you know, the, His name shall be called Emmanuel. The name Jesus means the Savior. Uh, the, these things are not uh, casual. They are profound. They are well thought out. And here, God is standing, God the Son is standing right in front of them and they despise Him. Isaiah 53. And all, if you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, it is that chapter, that profound chapter written about 700 years before the virgin birth of Christ. Uh, There, it speaks of His arrest and His trial, His crucifixion, His sufferings, uh, some of the Bystanders and his resurrection. Well, we'll just take we'll take a few verses as we go through this morning, but verse three of Isaiah 53, he is despised and rejected of men. We kind of downsize that word despised, but how can you, right? In other words, he is hated. He's loathed by these people. How dare you be Messiah without our permission? How dare you be Messiah and not do what we tell you to do? How dare you be Messiah and not honor us for the criminals that we are? He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's so pro- profound, a man of sorrows. Why? Why was he? Because he saw the sufferings of human. How many beggars were on the street? How many? How many... Broken lives and broken families that he'd see and know about. And he knew they were more outside of Israel on, in the world. He was not insensitive. And this is why he's referred to as the son of man. I'm, he identified with us. He's also the son of God. But he's the son of man. Ezekiel is one of the Old Testament prophets that uses that phrase the most. And it's saying the Messiah, when he comes, he he knows what's happening with you. He's not indifferent and insensitive. But there's a program that God is following. And we have to line up with it. He has to be our Lord through the program, regardless of how unpleasant it is. It says, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That just builds on what I just said about him. And then it says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. So Isaiah the prophet is identifying with the Jewish people. He's saying, when Messiah comes, this is how he's good, this is some of the attributes that belong to his character, he's going to be hated for this. And we're going to hide our faces from him like he's not who he says he is. And we're watching it in this court. There's not nothing just about this court is disgusting enough to have to go to than to have to to know that you're going to be the victim of injustice at the hands of those who are sworn to uphold justice. You can't win. That makes them criminals. Isaiah, again, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. He repeats it. And we esteemed him not. We saw nothing in him that we liked because he was not like us. That's what is going on with Caiaphas and those who are in agreement. And it it will come out in its true colors when they start abusing him at the end of this paragraph. And the Holy Spirit has written it all down for us. To say to us, what are you going to do with it? Okay, you go to Bible studies, you learn about Christ, you learn about the symbolisms, the types. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to love like Christ? Are you going to be Christ-minded? What happens? What are you going to do when you fail? What are you going to do as a Christian when you do not achieve, when you find out you're not what you wanted to be in Christ? What are you going to do with that? That's what Peter's going through. Peter thought he was going to be all this and that. Peter's the one that wrote, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will lift you up in due time. Well, where would he learn a lesson like that? We just read about a piece of it. Profound teachings. You can't make this up. You can't sit down at some nice, you know, scenic desk at a window with a typewriter and just fabricate the Bible. Had Christ answered this question, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? If he said no, then his ministry would have been destroyed. If he says yes, they've got him. What is the charge they're going to really have on him? Blasphemy. Saying that he's the son of God. The son of God. The definite article again. Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. He gets right to it without hesitation. Are you the the Messiah, the son of the blessed? I am. There's a very important moment here. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And Rick Cassidy will be one of the guys with me. (laughs) He doesn't say that, but he should have. He had a goal. I'm going to ask him about that. (laughs) But we know, because the Bible tells us later, that the saints will be with him. And we should have a blessed assurance of our faith. Uh, We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed of Christ. And uh, that means that we believe him when he says, he who believes in me, though he shall die, he will live. He's not going to die. He's going to be with me. And when whatever happens and comes our way and says that's not true, we rebuke it with truth. So without hesitation, he answers. He admitted to being the one whom the prophet spoke with such splendor, such unequaled splendor, they spoke of this Messiah. He's saying, I'm it. Here I am, handcuffed, your prisoner in your mind. Here I stand before you, and I am your Messiah. I am God the Son. That's how Caiaphas understood it. That's how the court understood it. That's how Jesus meant it. By this affirmation as Messiah, Son of the Blessed, he made sure, this is important, I think it is, He made sure that they were going to crucify him for the truth and not for all these false witnesses. They were not going to send him to to the cross on trumped-up charges. They were going to send him to the cross for truth. And that's why he is saying this. No false witness took him to the cross. It was a true and faithful witness. And the New Testament writers talk about his faithful appearance in the presence of Pilate where he doesn't back down knowing the consequences. And so he dismisses all the liars with this single, I am, just as you said. And then he goes ahead and he illustrates a behavior that goes with being the Christ. When you see me sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of of heaven, though they won't live to see it, they'll know about it. So if they would slay him, They must do so on the basis of truth and not false reasons. Now, when he says, I am, that was far more than what Caiaphas was hoping for. Caiaphas was such a happy little boy at this moment, but he's still a devil by choice. Uh, Again, like Judas Iscariot, when he was born, he was a little baby. You look into his eyes, he was cute and everything. He pulled his cheeks and everything. He was as cute as any other baby. I've, I've, I've never seen an ugly baby. I mean, it's just all of them. Even if, you know, they're born under great stress and they're still little innocent ones in, in compared to humans. <laughs> well, nobody's innocent compared to Christ. We're born in iniquity. Uh, we have to accept that because there's a solution that makes it acceptable in, in that way. Anyway, the solution would be, of course, the cross of Christ, the resurrection, the salvation when he gives This plain declaration in the Greek translation. Now you have the Old Testament that was originally written in the Hebrew, and when the Jews began to became went to captivity and they were freed from other nations, they not not all of them went back to Israel. The majority of them were dispersed, the diaspora, around the world, and uh, Alexandria in, Greece, in uh, Egypt became, uh, I almost said in Virginia. That would have been bad. Because they don't know how to vote up there. But anyway, are they going to seed from the planet? Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, we keep getting these abortion-loving governors because we have people that are in darkness. And how do you reach them? It's very difficult. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to this. They, they had the Bible in the Hebrew originally. But as the Jews were born in Gentile territories, they, they were removed from the Hebrew language and they were speaking the, in the vernacular of whatever people they were in. And Greek happened to be, thanks to Alexander the Great, a dominant language, a common language. So they then took their Old Testament Hebrew and they translated it into Greek. So, when they translated the verse from Exodus chapter 3, where Yahweh, God Almighty, says, I am, uh, they used the identical Greek word that Jesus is using here, that Mark has recorded, and so does the other evangelists, Matthew, Luke, and John. And so, when he says, I am, the court understood that he is matching himself to Exodus 3, verses 6 and verse 14, where this was Yahweh's prerogative and not any commoner. Uh, Moses could not say, I am. or No no one else could except the Messiah, the Son of God. And that is what is happening here. The only true testimony that night, it was seismic. It rattled the court. Uh, A few of them, we know, for example, Nicodemus sided with the Christ, or at least was not siding against him at that point. Uh, Clearly, they believed Messiah would be divine, which takes away the excuses of groups such as the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons who deny the deity of Christ, that he is equal with the Father, even though it's taught in Old and New Testament alike. And if you can say to them, well, if the Jews understood it, What's your problem? Uh, you know, they b- bring it up again later. Anyway, the charge of blasphemy, there it is. Verse 14, Pilate will, uh, Caiaphas will say it. And uh, uh, their, their response is, how dare you be the son of God without us telling you? They made it impossible for anyone to be the Messiah according to the scriptures. They could only be Messiah according to these people if they decided he could be Messiah, which is kind of like, you know, forcing someone to be your king. How do you do that? Because if he's the king, he's the ruler. How can you rule over him And this is upside down? Many today make it impossible for God to be God. They don't want to hear anything he's got to say. They dictate the terms. Well, if he's God, he's going to have to do this before I believe him. So now you become the dictator of deity and denying God the right to tell them the truth about themselves, about himself. uh, This is what the devil does. And the Bible never goes out of style. Why is that? Because sin never goes out of style. Uh, You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Not without God's word, you're not. This is what makes the difference. Uh, consuming the word of God, take of my body. Uh, This is, um, no one else uh, in history has what we have. And so the church is, the true church is hated. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power. Then it would be too late for them, unfortunately. God has no plan of salvation for the unsurrendered life. Am I losing anybody with that? This is what we have to tell people. God has no plan of salvation for you if you're not surrendered to him, if you're dictating terms to him. He then says, and coming with the clouds of heaven. He is claiming that Daniel, the great prophet Daniel, was talking about him. And he is taking upon himself the deity that Daniel applied to this figure. Daniel chapter 7 verse 3. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. And there in Daniel what we see is we see the Father and Son just interacting just together on the same level and Christ always talking about his father every chance he could get. I always do the will of my father. He's just always uh, making sure that that stayed in front of his listeners. But these men, robes, riches, religion, reputations, that, that alliteration is very accurate. Uh, these, what ma- that's what mattered to these men. Not truth, not scripture, not even the obedience or desire to obey the scripture. Outward things, not inward things held their attention. And there are many such people that claim to be Christians and they, they live like these guys. And, uh, you know, it's truth. The truth sets you free. Not pretending about it. Anyway, verse 64. You have heard the blasphemy. This is from now Caiaphas. This is his response to Jesus saying, yep, I am. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. <clears throat> it's not blasphemy if it's true. And it is true in this case. But we we don't want you to be Messiah because we don't like you. That's what it comes down to. The darkness in these men was so thick, they loved it. It was a welcomed darkness. Matthew chapter 6. But if... Your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Well, we're we're looking at it being acted out right here. Does knowing this make us better Christians? Does knowing that these men are doing it this way, behaving this way, does it it influence us towards righteousness? Because Satan is not the only one that gets to talk. God gets to talk too. The question is, who are you going to believe? Verse 65. Then some began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. These are the authorities doing these things against the law. There go the kangaroo court. Now the world likes to say, well, the Bible's not true. Can't believe it. I don't believe you. That's our response. If when they say, I don't believe the Bible, we say, I don't believe you. I believe God. Just as he says. And when you say you don't believe the Bible, can you tell me why you don't believe the Bible? And can you make sense when you tell me? First thing they usually go for is, well, the contradictions Well, show me them. Show me the contradictions. And uh, anyway... Verse 65, I mean, I'm not saying this as though they're my enemy. I, I look beyond them. I see Satan influencing them. And we want the chance to preach. Verse 65, then some began to spit, as I mentioned. Let's follow that. To spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, to say to him, prophesy, and sh- to strike him with their hands. They went right to work, did they not? They pounced. It's sort of like the scapegoat that uh, which he represents. He represents the goat that is spared and the goat that is that is uh, the goat that is sacrificed and the goat that is the scapegoat. He represents them both in these Old Testament illustrations that are given to us. Here, they're jeering him. They're hating him. Isaiah fifty again. Isaiah the prophet. This time, chapter fifty, verse six. Speaking of Messiah, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from the shame and the spitting. He's totally in control. Luke adds this, and many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. This is the one before whom the angels worship. And demons tremble, and men can't get it. This is the one whom Isaiah saw high and lifted up in the train of his robe, filling the temple. When Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips who dwells in the presence of a people who have unclean lips. The only, <clears throat> the only one they would permit to be Messiah would be the one that they would rule over, as I've said earlier. But listen, I'm almost done. Christ is their high priest and he is their sacrifice and this is what they do to him. When Paul writes the Roman letter to the church in Rome that he had not yet visited, he just pours his heart out as a Christian, uh, as, a, as an apostle and he talks about salvation very much. It is a masterpiece of, of, of Christian literature and, and scripture. He writes, he says, Am when we were still without strength to be saved, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Then he goes on again. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he writes to the Corinthians, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So, see, God speaks too. And God says, I know Satan is serious, but I am serious too. And I am stronger, but it's, you got to, you, it's got to be your choice. God will have nobody in heaven that has bruises on them because they've been pushed into heaven. We come in because we see the love and he receives us. Love restrained Jesus Christ. He was not dying to kill them. He was dying to save them. I don't have it so easily. I mean, I want to. I want to strike at enemies. I, I know vengeance is fine, says the Lord. <laughs> That's at least how it should be. And and I struggle with this. But you know, before I was a Christian, I never struggled with that. Now that I'm a Christian, it's now an issue because I want to serve my God, and I have this flesh that that you know raises itself up, and I got to beat it down. It's worth it, incidentally. Don't give up. You keep failing, falling on your face. That's to be expected. just keep getting up. Anyway, imagine the terror on their faces when they died. What did they say to Christ then? I, I didn't know. Luke chapter 13, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. That's spooky to everybody. Does knowing this make you a better servant? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there's nowhere on earth that can be found these truths that you have preserved for us, that you back up, that you allow us to use as a sword to engage an enemy who has swords too. And yet you allow us to prevail. We who believe, we love and worship you. We thank you for your patience towards us. May some of that patience rub off, flow through us. If you are here this morning, or maybe even watching or listening online, and you've not ever opened your heart to Christ, you are by default against Him. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. You can do something about that. Christ gives you the privilege of responding to the truth. If you make this prayer in earnest, God will receive you. You will be His. You will join the army of Christ, if you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I've rejected your lordship over my life and your salvation. And I ask you to forgive me. I come to you and I ask you to receive me that I could be yours from this day forward, that you would be not only the one who died for me, paid my penalty, has become my Savior, but also the one who is the Lord over my life to teach me how I should live. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not be ashamed of it. May they be quick to share it. May they make their confession public. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.